Hello, and welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Richard Wallace, President of Pizza Hut Canada. Thanks for joining me today, and I'm quite excited to bring this episode to you because Richard Wallace is my first guest on the Arate Podcast who is an Australian who is now living and working and making his career overseas. He's a young guy, but he's achieved some fantastic things within the organisation he works for, and I look forward to introducing him to you in a moment. But firstly, for those people who are new to the Arate podcast, let me briefly introduce myself. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. We recruit senior executives, CEOs, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. And we also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy solutions for senior executives and non-executive directors who are actively looking for a new role. So if we can be of any assistance to you, please either email me through the Arate Executive website or send me a connection through LinkedIn and I'll look forward to engaging with you and seeing how we can be of assistance. Let's get on now and introduce Richard Wallace. Richard Wallace was born in Ipswich, Queensland, Australia, and has spent the majority of his career working for Yum Brands, starting with them in 1996 as a manager and working his way through a range of roles within the organisation to his current role as President Canada for Pizza Hut. He has a Bachelor of Science majoring in Psychology and a Masters of Business Administration. He's also a member of the Young Presidents Organisation, also known as YPO, in Toronto. Richard has moved to Canada with his wife and young family. So sit back now and enjoy this fascinating conversation with Richard Wallace. So, uh, Richard, welcome to the Arate Podcast. Nice to have you here uh, on a Friday afternoon in Brisbane. I know that you've travelled a very long way to be here from uh, Canada. Thanks, mate. It's much warmer here than there, let me tell you. I bet. I was actually born in Edmonton, and uh, my parents escaped after two years when it was getting down to minus 40 degrees centigrade. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, before the wind chill, mind you. That's it. <laughs> so, uh, yes, it is definitely warm here today. It's yeah. been a really uh, sticky summer this year. So, Richard, um, uh, perhaps just to begin with, just have a chat to us about what you're currently doing professionally, um, your various responsibilities, etc. Okay, look, I'm the president of Pizza Hut here in, uh, well, in Canada. Um, it's a $350 million business, about 400 units. Um, and I've been uh, been there for now three winters, actually. Right. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. Okay, and so uh, when you say 350 units, mm. you mean retail outlets? Yeah, sorry, 400 retail outlets um, right. across Canada. Okay. Um, and we have a number of franchises, about 60-odd franchisees, and right. we, own, we own about 10% of the units ourselves as well. Okay, so, yeah. and so is Pizza Hut, um, you know, the dominant provider there? It is. We're the fastest growing brand in Canada. Wow. Um, you know, we're growing, uh, outgrowing all the other competition there, so... Um, you know, it's been a, it's been a great few years, and the brand's really strong in the Canadian market. So, okay. Yeah. And uh, and is pizza 
uh, a fairly new sort of cuisine for the Canadians. Mate, North America, it's uh, there's lots of pizza players, right. uh, but Pizza's the original and the best. So um, you know we've been uh, been there for uh, over 50 years. So okay. um, you know uh, people know us well and they know us for our, uh, our product. So um, right, yeah. And you've had a very long career with the organisation. I have. I started as a as a delivery driver about 20 years ago. In fact, okay. 20 years ago last October in uh, in Ipswich uh, here in Queensland. Right. Well, yeah. I've had Tom Potter on the podcast before. <laughs> I haven't got Don May yet. But, uh, <laughs> you may have uh, all three of us. Yeah, it'd be yeah. Uh, good to uh, have a pizza war on the OK podcast. <laughs> uh, and so you, um, you mentioned uh, Ipswich. So uh, uh, is that where you were born and grew up? Yeah. So okay. my family's still about Ipswich. Uh, I grew up in, um, in Ipswich and went to uh, public high school there, Bremer State High, and, right. uh, and uh, cut my teeth in my first... I worked for Brodie's as a first job, actually, oh, in Ipswich. Yeah. The um, chicken place. That's right. Right. That's right, under Mark Brodie. And right. uh, it was a bit of a... It was a defining moment, I think, working in, uh, you know, working in QSR and uh, cut my teeth in there before, uh, you know, going to uni a little bit later. Right. And uh, oldest of three boys? Oldest of four, actually. Oh, four boys. Yeah, yeah four boys. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so... Um, you uh, were working at Brodie's while you were at high school? That's right. Okay. That's and right. And then uh, do you think that you knew even before you went to uni that you wanted a career in that industry? Look, I didn't. Um, and I don't think I appreciated some of the things that I learned. I was a manager at a pretty young age. At sort of 16, 17, you start running uh, running shifts and things. Right. And I didn't appreciate, uh, you know, what I'd got actually until I got out and, and met guys at uni actually or met guys at, you know, after uni Yeah. in terms of what, uh, you know, what, what leadership skills you, you get at a pretty young age in that sort of industry, right? So. Right. And so... Uh, do you think that they were intentionally developed by the business or they were just things that you innately identified within yourself? I think when you've got um, 30 or 40 15-year-old kids, right, uh, you've got to have some sense of uh, leadership. But I think it's a combination. I think there's, uh, you know, they did a very good job of teaching me, you know, what skill, what I needed to do and how I needed to treat people, you know, in terms of, you know, giving them uh, praise and, but also, you know, giving them, uh, giving some constructive uh, feedback as well. Right. Um, but I think it's a combination. I think it's, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff I learned, but I think I had the, the ambition right. to be in a leadership role. Right? And so uh, you finished school and went directly into university? I did. Uh, Bachelor of um, Science. That's right. Right. At UQ. Okay. And obviously that wasn't a business-related qualification. Well, it was uh, psychology. Okay. Um, and, uh, and strangely enough, I thought, you know, before I went into this, I thought, look, I, maybe I'll want to be a doctor in the long run. You know, right. I'd spend some time in, uh, uh, you know, in, in school wondering what I wanted to do. And so psychology was, you know, it was, I was going to do post, uh, postgraduate medicine. And, mm-hmm. um, but it, when I was in doing psychology, I actually did, uh, you know, there's a guy called Bob Dick, actually, at University of Queensland, who uh, he did this interesting subject around psychology and how it actually impacted uh you know in in the business environment in terms of recruitment in terms of okay. you know how how to improve capability and that was an interesting uh, turning point for me i think in terms of understanding you know i didn't want to be a psychologist but i right. think i wanted to get a role in in a business and really impact a uh, business from a people capability perspective right know? and so whilst you're studying you were still working at Brodie's. that's right right and uh, worked with them the whole way through uh yep till i was yeah till i graduated yeah i did actually okay yeah. and so it sounds as though Doing this course, uh, you know, created a uh, an idea that hey, I can take this psychology into my professional life exactly, and and maximise my success exactly. And exactly. was it as clearly thought as that, or 
Not really, but but I think I realised that I was good at what I did, mm-hmm. and it was about reading people, about understanding people, and how they, uh, you know, how to motivate them actually. Okay. Um, and that was one of the keys to success. That was what made me a successful manager in that particular environment. But it's also what excited me and really energised me in terms of you know leading a team of people. Right. Yeah. And so, um, uh, when you finished your course, yeah. what what was the sort of thinking then in terms of how you take your career forward? Well, I thought I needed to start to get some commercial, uh, some more commercial experience. So I started studying a, a Bachelor of Business at QUT. Okay. So I thought I needed to balance it with some more uh, commercial stuff. Um, but it just so happened that at that, and I was working part-time at Pizza at, at the same time, so I started working as a delivery driver. Just, you know, uh, supplement the income I went to college, I went yeah. to university the second time around. And um, that's when they offered me a role as a, as a restaurant manager and said, look, you know, there's a role here going, you're pretty good at it. You know, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just do it for a short period of time. Well, right. I'll take a sabbatical from university and just, you know, run a, you know, manage a restaurant for them. And so, what were you, early twenties then? Early twenties, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And where was that? That was in uh, in New Farm, actually, up here oh, in the valley. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so that was that was, and it was a manager only for about six months, actually. Right. Um, and then they um, they have a graduate program. Okay. That uh, that sort of uh, was in Sydney, so that was the um, you know I got some pretty I got some results pretty quickly in that in the units, and they saw me as someone who could potentially right. do, do bigger things. Okay, and so was that graduate program one of these ones where you do three months in marketing and three months in HR and three months uh, in different areas? Or well, different it was longer, areas? it was longer, it was a real job. So you went in for a year and a half and right. you had to actually make an impact in each of the roles. So you went, I went into HR as the first role. For a year and a half? For a year and a half. Oh, okay. And uh, so you, you take a real job in the office. I think yep. uh, they saw you as a cost-effective individual really as well. But, sure. uh but you know, you were held uh, held accountable for the for for the role and to to get stuff done. So mm-hmm. it was enough to not just understand it, but to get in and actually prove you could you could get a result or drive, drive an outcome. Okay. Um, so not everyone cut it through. Not everyone made it. But I think it was a really uh, you got thrown in the deep end and you had to either sink or swim. Right. right. So. So how many different divisions did you spend 18 months in? I only did two. So I actually did HR and marketing. Okay. Um, I'd already spent time in operations, and there's an operations role as well, but I spent time in both uh, marketing and, and okay. HR. Yeah. And so that was essentially three years? That was three and years. And then yeah. what happened at the end of that time? Well, then I came out as a sort of a field HR manager. So okay. I had responsibility for about 45 or so units in, mm-hmm. in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And uh, you know, in, in our business, HR are strategic partners with the, the operating business. So okay. you end up making a lot of the recruitment decisions to you know, some managers and, and training, all that sort of stuff. Okay, and uh, and so how big was the area that you were looking after then? Uh, it was look, it was about uh, yeah, forty units, so about you know, a forty million dollar business. Um, you know, it was uh, it was it was four or five area managers that we had at that point in time. So you looked right. after most of the, you know, it was an equity business at that point. So we actually owned those those businesses. Okay, yeah. Um, so uh, so it was actually cutting my teeth in the in you know in a broader impact. It was the first time I had a broader impact on. Right. The business, you know. But you weren't operationally driving the performance of the individual uh, uh, stores or units. Uh, you were in a support type function. That's right. Okay. But I think one of the differences that um, that we we had was as a as a HR leader, you were accountable for even though you supported the operating business, uh, you had to deliver on some metrics and mm-hmm. we had a we had an employee PL actually which was oh, really right. interesting okay. which is about you know measuring stability and we actually did some correlation in terms of you know the more stable a manager was the longer they were in their role you had a 20% improvement in profit so we had targets on if you can keep managers in the same store for more than 12 months you had a profit kick if you uh, could l- limit turnover you know right. so we had some hardwired results that really tied the HR team into some real business outcomes right yeah okay right so 
And was that, uh, you know, metrics that were developed internally within Pizza Hut or is that something that's used across the industry? Look, it's used across the industry, but I think it's not necessarily looked at as, as regularly as, you know, we'd have to do it every month. And if it wasn't uh, on target, you have a box around, you know, so we'd look at probably seven or eight metrics on a monthly basis that right. uh, as frequently as you'd look at from a financial perspective. Okay. So okay. putting as much weight in some of the people capability measures as we do in the financial ones. Right. And what were some of the really interesting learnings that came out of that that perhaps people wouldn't normally uh, think of but became evident through looking at the numbers? I think it's about how um, how important having a stable, um, well-trained manager is. So, you know, you actually improve retention by training someone. That right. was one of the insights we had. So okay. the higher your training certification was, the lower the turnover rate. The certifi- higher the certification of the manager of team members, managers, you right. name it across okay. the board. The more yeah. you train people, the longer they stay. Okay. Uh, and the second was about this stability, about having a stable leader in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a, in a store, in a, in a retail store. Mm-hmm. More than 12 months, you had a, um, you know, a two percentage point or 20% improvement in profitability for the store. Is that right? Yeah. yeah that's interesting. Yeah. And I suppose coupled with that, you've got the fact that a lot of your employees, it's really a transient job for them. It's not job for life. It's just the thing they do while they're at uni, isn't That's it? right. That's right. But it's about life skills. I think that was one of the things that, that I got, and I know a lot of people got, is you actually learn work ethic. You learn, you know, basics. You know, you learn how to uh, serve customers. You learn to ha- how to do things that I think are pretty fundamental in terms of setting you up for, uh, for other roles. So we knew we'd lose people, but we also had a very internally focused bench development. So we'd have three levels deep of bench that we would train for managers and things. Okay. Yeah. And so you were in that role for a few years? A couple of years. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. what happened from there? Then I moved to Perth and took an operating role. So we had, um, I took on the, the Perth, uh, the West Australian market. We had about uh, 40 restaurants in uh, in Perth at that point in time. Yeah. So I kind of took a state manager role okay. uh, over there, which was, uh, which was interesting. And how did you find the you know, traditional uh, parochialism of WA towards their East Coast counterparts. Over East is what they used to say. Everything's right. over East. So anything west of west of Perth is over East, even Kalgoorlie. Uh, right. But um, but it was, uh, it was, look, it's beautiful. I mean, Perth's a fantastic place. And I was there when, you know, uh, early 2000s. But it was just... Um, you know, uh, a beautiful place, but also, uh, you know, um, great for, from a business perspective, learned a lot. Um, first time I had to deal with some different types of franchises, big and small franchisees. Right. And it was not equity, so we didn't own the businesses, so we had to influence the outcomes right. from the franchisees. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and from that point, back into an HR role again. That's right, back in, into KFC, and it was a big business in Victoria, uh, Victoria and Tasmania. It's still part of the Australia. same parent company. Yeah, so Yum owns KFC Pizza and Taco right. Bell. Yeah. So, so how, how did you get on the radar? For KFC to essentially want to poach you or you know bring you across. Well, we uh, we have uh, talent management across all the brands, okay. so uh, so we have a pretty robust system around how to make sure that you know people are getting cross brand experience. And one of the things that you know helped me was getting different brands, you know, different understanding different consumer types, understanding different uh, business models and those sort of things within the arm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so it was it's our portfolio of brands. Right. Okay. Um, and back to the East Coast again. Back over the East Coast, right. exactly in Melbourne. It was in Melbourne, so Vic Taz and, and SA at that point. And so what did you notice was uh, some of the intrinsic differences in terms of culture, even though KFC and Pizza Hut are still under one umbrella? Mm. You know, I imagine in some respects they were very different businesses. Look, I think they're different in terms of size and scale. Um, but, you know, the, the interesting thing is they're fundamentally the same. The things that drive one business drive the other. Right. Right people, uh, right training capability, um, you know, right commercials, you know, th- those things, sorry, the right, the right financials, you know, those things still drive the uh, drive business. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, that was the surprise for me. I actually thought there'd be more differences than, uh, than similarities, but it was very similar. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm interested in, you know, uh, HR as a function within a business yeah. can either be perceived as a highly strategic value-add function yep. or it can be perceived as not much more than an administrative yep. uh, role. Yep. You sort of straddled the HR into operations, back into HR. Yeah. How did that... Um, affect the way that you perceived your role within the business and how did you uh, present yourself Mm. within the organisation in order to get the best credibility? I think being an operator, so starting in restaurants and then running a restaurant and then running a market gave me a sense of, uh, you know, it gave me credibility already. Mm-hmm. In the arm, we have a, uh, you know, um, my uh, one of my first bosses, Fred Bolling, was actually a uh, HR director at the time, and, and he was a hugely commercial guy. Mm-hmm. He was HR director, hugely strategic. And he already had bought into, uh, bought the organisation along with HR as, as a strategic function, not an administrative mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. So you already had the, pri- the price of entry. We were already, right. already in that, that you role. You somebody championing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But when you've got the credibility on the other side of it, so when you're talking about things from experience, it actually mm-hmm. meant that when you're calling an area manager out on their people capability or on their financial capability or their operating capability, they listen. So uh, it, gave us, it gave me a, a lot of credibility in that role. And it sounds as though you had great statistics and performance indicators underpinning yeah. rather than it just being sort of an emotive That's right. uh, critique. That's right. right. And I think that was one of the things that I learned is it's not warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard edge, right? And holding yourself accountable for people capability growth mm-hmm. was actually the key to success, honestly. It mm-hmm. wasn't about you know, doing the right thing. It was about you know, doing the right thing for the person necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's about doing the right thing for the person and for the business and making sure they match. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, was, uh, it was a powerful, uh, powerful lesson, I think. Okay. And so you're in that role for a couple of years? Yep. And from there? Into employee relations, right. so uh, that, you know, industrial relations and uh, training and um, uh, you know uh, OHS. So it was a more traditional HR role, mm-hmm. uh, but an interesting time because we uh, we, um, we, uh, we we actually uh, went to a Senate inquiry. I actually, we got to go to a Senate, which is an right. interesting approach to go through around okay. uh, legislation and how we uh, how we were approaching some enterprise awards that we had. But um, I learned a lot. It, look, it was it was a couple of years as well. Um, but it was a more strategic role for the organisation. So, and then stepped up to a, have a whole of Australian New Zealand responsibility. That's right for operating. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that was, and again, that was it was almost coming back home because uh, okay. you know I'd come back to operations after spending some time. Yeah. But uh, coming back with a lot of breadth, I think mm-hmm. that you know I didn't realise until I got into that operating role how how broad it you know all the other roles before it made me across mm-hmm. across brands um, and across functions, and it was. Uh, it was, but it was good to get back into operations. And so, how old were you then? Look, I was um, mid thirties. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, I mean, it, for somebody at that age, uh, a significant amount of responsibility. Yeah. Other than the fact that you'd walked the path of, you know, the various different types of operations, yeah. HR, IR, etc., yeah. and so you had that breadth of experience. Yeah. What do you think were some of your traits? Uh, uh, that enabled you to get on the radar and be promoted so quickly? I think it's well as results, mate. I mean, I think uh, one of the things that was um, really uh, part of how we operated or how we do operate is, you know, if you need to deliver results. Yeah. So if you deliver results and you mm-hmm. actually demonstrate outcomes, you'll move through. If you right. don't deliver results, you won't. So I right. think it was uh, pretty hard-edged. 
But um, but clearly, you know, that was what I made of demonstrate over the years that we could get outcomes, right? So, right. Yeah. And then it, and then not long after that, it moving into a role with an IT responsibility. Well, it was the same role. So we actually straddled ops and IT. Right. Um, which was interesting. Um, it was uh, it was a learning, especially because from a pizza perspective, it was really at the dawn of when digital was was mm-hmm. growing pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot about the digital agenda and how important it was from our from our business perspective. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was just a it was a time of change. So I managed to get across into IT as well at the same time. So was that something that you deliberately sought out, or they tapped you for that opportunity? They tapped me for that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you had to put your little hat with your propeller on it, and that's, uh, that's exactly right. And get into it. Exactly. Exactly. I had to help desk guys reporting to me, so it was an interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah it was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and so how did you find the cultural difference of working within that function rather than the previous ones? Well, I think we actually uh, try to make sure the culture is, is similar across all of them. I mean, it, different skill set, but same culture. So yeah. it, was, uh, it, was, it was pretty similar. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And, uh, and what were some of the critical imperatives from an IT point of view that you had to deal with during that time? I think building the right infrastructure. I mean, uh, one of the things that we actually realised that, we're, you know, we're an older brand, you need to change things pretty, you know, things were right. changing pretty quickly. So yeah. we needed to have a, you know, think think more uh, strategically about investment and what we mm-hmm. need to do, both from point of sale, which is the stuff we put in stores, but also from a digital platform perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the growth that was happening was phenomenal. And right. you know, without the right infrastructure, et cetera, you, know, you just couldn't handle the volume. So mm-hmm. uh, it was eye-opening how quickly the environment was changing. So, mm. uh, and so how much of your strategic consideration was watching what other players were doing within fast food and uh, pizza versus looking at you know, completely different disruptive industries uh, uh, in the uh, the IT space, I think back then it was about really focusing on the QSR space and particularly pizza. I mean, it's hugely competitive, particularly right. here in Australia, hugely yeah. competitive, as you'd know. Um, so, you know, understanding what uh, what dynamics are happening in the industry is probably most important. Yeah. Um, but then once you understand where you want to go and what's happening, then you need to understand what's happening in the rest of the industry to be able to decide right. what, which path you're going to take. Right. So, so when you were looking at your competitors, what were some of the things that you were watching them do and saying? gee, we could do what we're doing a lot better. And what were the areas where you thought that you were actually in front of the pack? Well, I think, um, you know, well, one of the things at that point in time was that, um, you know, Domino's, and they still are, is clearly, you know, position themselves as uh, as a technology company. Yeah. So that technology focus um, has, has done very well for them. Mm-hmm. I think we always saw ourselves, and we continue to see ourselves as, um, look, you need to have a strong technology platform, but I think we also uh, see ourselves as making great product and fantastic pizza. So right. I'm not saying that you know the others don't. Obviously, yeah. I've got a preference, but you know I think um, you know we uh, we wanted to make sure we had you know a category leading uh, pizza actually. Right. So uh, there's a subtle difference, but you know we needed to have the price of entry in this category mm-hmm. is a strong digital agenda, a strong digital strategy, right? So. Yeah, sorry. What uh, what does that lead to? Well, in terms of the, the you know the uh, the pizza business being, you know, pizza actually not many people know this, but pizza was the first business to have an online ordering platform back in right. the eighties. Actually, okay. it was the first online ordering platform ever. Right. But um, but now the price of entry for a pizza to, for a, you know any pizza company, if you look at the the, the large ones, is having a scalable digital yeah. you know digital platform. Yeah. So it's the price of entry. Um, right. And uh, and we see you know we're we're making you know big strides in terms of doing that, but you need to have from a customer perspective not just the best access but the best product. And, yeah. Uh, and we want to. Yeah, and I think uh, you know as a punter who doesn't work in this space yeah. uh, to watch the kind of promotions that are happening and. You know, them talking about you. Yeah, we can deliver you a pizza for four dollars or five dollars, 
And I think I couldn't even, you know, buy a quality base for probably five dollars. Yeah. Um, I wonder, you know, how does that uh, really stack up from an economy of scale perspective? And then there just seems to be so much innovation in terms of product. I mean, I was only watching TV last night, and I love pizza, so it's obviously <laughs> what sticks out to me. But you know, Pizza Hut saying, "Well, buy a box that's got two pizzas in it." Mm. You know, and and that's the latest. It's almost like uh, razor blades. You know, you had three blades, then there was four blades, now there's five blades. Yeah. It's like, how many blades will there end up being? <laughs> and, it, and in pizza, it, that seems, uh, you know, a particular fast food industry where there's just so much product innovation yep. to try and what capture more market share or retain market share or what's the driver? Well, I think uh, innovations, are, again, it's, it's the category ante. You know, you mm. have to be innovative. And um, the QSR industry is, is you know, the, the, well, the consumer tastes change very quickly. Right. So the industry changes pretty quickly. Right. Um, you know, if you look at all the big players, they're in a huge amount of change. And, mm -hmm. you know, we do windows every six weeks. You know, if you think about um, CPG or, you know, FMCG, you know, you're looking at product cycles that are that are a year. Right. We're looking at a six-week cycle on some of these things. So right. you have, you know, um, it's such a fast-paced environment, and you've got to respond to what the customer wants. I mean, the point that it really comes from making sure we know our customers well enough and innovating around what what matters to them. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Uh, I just uh, interviewed a guy for the podcast named Matthew Mikewitz. Uh, he has a business called Complexia, which is uh, artificial intelligence to solve a lot of these. Uh, uh, issues which you must have massive teams of analysts uh, involved in the business trying to work out how to uh, get maximum yield etc well I think you know where we start is we actually st we put the customer front and center so right. we start with the customer so we spend a lot of time understanding what customers want mm -hmm. that's the first the first piece the mm -hmm. other end of it is making sure that what the customer wants meets the financial needs of right. the franchisees sure. and, and of us as well yeah but it, it genuinely starts with deep you know deep insights into the customer you know not superficial um, you know people are hungry on a Friday night it goes yeah. a lot deeper than that in terms of understanding what what occasions people want and, and and what the current trends are and how they want to access the brand and all those sort of things right and so you've been involved for 20 years yeah you know if you had to summarize how what's changed about the customer in 20 years time uh, in in that 20 years what, what are some of the critical things I think how they access our brand has changed a lot or how they access the business has changed a lot and it's changing so quickly at the moment right digital's been a phenomenal uh, change and, yep. and the pace of that change is phenomenal but you know it's, it's funny some of the things uh, you know um, are very similar people mm -hmm. still love a craveable product you know right. Uh, I, th I always think about our pan pizza, you know, a crunchy crust, you know, steaming bread in the middle and, you know, um, you know, stringy mozzarella on the top, great pepper, you know, it all, you know, after 20 years, I still get hungry thinking about that. So the fundamentals are still the same, which yeah. is you're delivering a product to something to satisfy people. Right. But I think, you know, the, and it really does. Pizza's a, a unique product where it brings people together. Eh? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we still bring people together. Right. And I think uh, that's still the same, but how you access that's changing. Yeah, right. People accessing on mobile phones and yeah. uh, and all that makes it a uh, very different mm. access. But mm -hmm. same occasion, mate. Sure. So, and, yeah. uh, you know, this is a, an audio rather than a video, but uh, if you've been able to see Richard describing that piece, then he was getting pretty excited. <laughs> so uh, uh, he's obviously, you've still got a lot of passion for your product. <laughs> that's right, mate. Good on yeah, you. And so what uh, ended up taking you to Canada then? So there was a, a president role or general manager role in Canada. Right. Um, we just uh, we we uh, separating the brands in um, into uh, different divisions. So we had KFC and Pizza Hut combined, and one uh, one leader okay. over there. And we yeah. uh, I was over there to sort of separate Pizza Hut and uh, and kick off the the single brand in in Canada. And how did the Canadians? Uh 
uh, adopt an Aussie? Was it a, a good integration, nice and easeful, or was it pretty they challenging? Didn't, they didn't understand Australian, so okay. the, <laughs> they had to ask me to repeat things a few times. Right. Um, we learned really quickly that the thongs don't mean the same thing okay, uh, yes. in, uh, in in the North, North America, but. Right. Uh, but you know what? It's it's uh, very interesting. The Canadian uh, culture is very similar. I mean, we've got a similar political environment, mm -hmm. uh, similar economic trends. Um, you know, part of the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. um, so everything. Uh, you know, the Canadians are very polite. You mm -hmm. know, very welcoming. So, you know, the transition was pretty was pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, and because it's the same company, we have the same sort of culture mm -hmm. from that perspective in in Canada as well. Okay. So. And I note from um, your CV that uh, you know. In around the mid two thousands, you went back to university and did an MBA. Yeah. Um, the driver was just to round out your sort of uh, leadership and management expertise. Yeah. Look, I got involved, and uh, uh, in, in that the same period of time, I got involved in refranchising some stores. I got to uh, sell some. Um, businesses out from um, we used to own them to franchisees right. and at that point in time we were learning lots about capexes and you know oh, understanding yeah. how to you know and it, we were a fortune 250 company so right. understanding those sorts of things is um, was pretty important so um, doing an MBA at that time was a great uh, you know it was a great opportunity to really understand from the practical sense mm -hmm. what was happening in these big businesses and then calibrate it with with you know in the MBA I was doing, you know you know commercial um, you know corporate finance and those sort of things that were really uh, adding the the theoretical stuff behind it um, but it was just good to uh, again um, go back and do this study when I had had enough experience in my roles you know I was at a level where I actually got a lot from that MBA yeah I reckon if I'd done it earlier it would have been too early for me actually. yeah I think it uh I've done an MBA as well, and, and certainly I think one of the mistakes MBA schools have made in trying to obviously make money uh, is repositioning an MBA to attract young business graduates in yeah. uh, who haven't had that sort of 10 years of practical on-the-job experience. And yeah. in many respects in Australia, that's devalued uh, what an MBA actually is, which is a shame, but yeah. it seems to me that that's changing again. Yeah. And what about within the organisation? So you did your MBA that was you know, eight years ago you finished mm. that. What kind of professional development slash coaching or mentoring have they offered you since then? Look, we have lots of programs. Um, a lot of them about leadership development, quite a lot of leadership development, mm -hmm. and uh, um, particularly understanding leadership styles. So I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, that we think, that we believe is that, you know, um, some of the core skills and being smart is a price of entry, but, you know, being leadership, you know, having having courage and, and being a strong leader is something we can actually develop in people. So, you know, we have, uh, I went through lots of programs over the years um, to, uh, to, to accelerate my own leadership capability right. at more senior levels. And so. what, were, what were some of the uh, key learnings for you that you are then intentionally grabbed and started to implement? I think it's about understanding your, my own strengths in terms of my leadership style. I think you know you can spend so much time working on your opportunities. Actually, you can spend mm -hmm. time saying, "Well, this is something I can't do well." Right. Um, and, and so, understanding what your style is and how you can leverage your style and actually make it stronger, versus you know necessarily trying to be almost a flatliner. You know, trying everything to to to, to yeah. mediocre. Uh, so, and understanding diversity. I'm I'm a different leader than some other leaders, right? Mm -hmm. So, understanding what that diversity means and understanding mm -hmm. what you bring. To a team and what opportunities you need to complement in the in the team. Okay. Yeah. And then um, you have been in the states or in uh, the uh, Canada for now for about three years. Yeah. If you think about that particular period, you know what would be a key achievement that you'd hang your hat on and you'd say, you know, this is why I'm bloody good at my job. <laughs> 
Look, I think it's um, I think it's, it goes back to understand the customer. We really understood the problem for the brand in Canada. And we spent the last three years being very consistent, almost relentless at fixing that problem. And um, it, we changed the perceptions about pizza in Canada in the last couple of years. And after closing stores, I mean, we closed stores up to, you know, um, up to four years ago, we'd been closing a, a lot of units. Um, so in the last three years, we've grown, uh, you know, transactions every year for the last three years. We're the, as I said, we're the fastest growing in terms of units in Canada at the moment. And this is from what people would see as a mature brand, right? Right. And so changing the, you know, perspective and the mindset around this, you know, we can, we can be the fastest growing. Just because you're a mature brand doesn't mean you can't be the fastest growing. So uh, turning this business around and actually getting momentum behind it, um, getting customers back in the brand, getting franchisees excited about it, and having a team, you know, frankly, that, you know, you really feel love the brand. I mean, mm-hmm. they love the brand. And, they, uh, and, and when uh, you've got a team like that, the results keep coming. I mean, it's just been, uh, it, 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 it's uh, a bit of a golden era. It feels, it feels great to keep getting the results. And so um, you walk into a situation, was it broken and in chaos, or you just saw an opportunity for enhancement? I think the brand is has got inherent strength. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Pizza brand has got so much equity, mm-hmm. and I think uh, with with these these sort of brands, it's just making sure we execute the brand in the right way. So, you know, you could say that it was broken, but I think that there was a lot of um, people still had a lot of love for the brand. You'd, you'd mm-hmm. ask people, when did you uh, last? You know, do, do you eat pizza? Yeah, I love Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. So when's the last time you bought it? Oh, maybe that was a couple of years ago. Right. So they love the brand. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of giving them the opportunity to come back and mm-hmm. finding ways to get them to try the brand again. And so is your mandate coming in, uh, Richard, we got some challenges here. We need you to come and fix it up. Or was it more a case of you got in there and started to see the opportunity uh, to to take it to a new place? A bit of both. I mean, it was clearly a challenged market. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, the business is smaller than KFC, so we combine the two. So when you've got these two businesses combined, you tend to, you know, work on the bigger one. Right. And so what we'd found is there's some opportunities to really put the brand front and center. Okay. So it, it had had some challenges, but at the same time, and when you start turning the rock over, you see the challenges, you, you see things under the rock that you need to fix. Right. And so we, we took a, you know, we, we, we attacked... The, as I said, the customer front and center, and we attacked the things that mattered most to the customer first. And there, you know, we didn't get it all. We didn't get it right on the first on the first hit, right? So, um, what would be an example of a particular initiative that you implemented to really start to to change things? I think we um, we we wanted to get insights into what the biggest problem of the brand was. Okay. And uh, the biggest problem was really for us the perception of um, you know of value in the in the market. Right. Um, in terms of they thought the brand was expensive. Now that said. Um, they also thought that we have a very strong brand um, in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. So we set about trying to work through how do we start to change the perceptions and how do we convince consumers that we're more accessible. And we did that by you know getting onto TV, spending more money on TV. We're, we've got a lot more investment into, uh, okay. into TV. And uh, you know we had some uh, promotions that actually attacked that, that consumer need and that, right. that, that issue. So you're saying the consumers thought Pizza Hut's a premium brand and it's a premium price. Whereas in fact the price was what comparable with your competitors. Well, well, it is when you look at, at, at a lot of the pricing, but it's more about um, customers saw us not just as premium; they saw us as expensive. Right. Okay. And there's a there's a difference, but yeah. so you've got to be able to give them a, a way to access the brand, and when they access the brand, they remembered what they loved about the brand, right. and then they bought it again. So, okay. so we had to get them in, and we also had to make sure the operating platform was right as well. In other words, you know, when they actually tried us again, so if we're going to put all this money on TV, you want right. to make sure that. You know, consumers are going to come back to the brand yeah. and, and have good experience, and so they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, with with uh, digital, growing digital platform, 
digital's more sticky. You know, mm. when people start to use a digital platform, yeah. they stay. So we had a couple of things happening at the same time that sort of built on itself and built momentum in the mm. brain. So yeah, it is interesting. Uh, uh, in terms of my own buying behaviour, if I use a particular website and it's easier to use than the competitors, yep. even if perhaps the end product isn't quite as good, yep. that ease of just being able to use it is enough for me to want to return there. Um, well, it's interesting yeah. because we just, um, you know, and uh, our global CEO just shared this at the last investor conference, but we had some interesting insights into the new consumers currently. And right. In the past, you know, you think about marketers. Marketers would go white or whites, right? You go and you want to make washing powder, you want to make it a yeah. white or white, and you yeah. win, you know, by making white or whites. What we found is that, um, you know, we asked some customers around the world, um, how much how much longer would you wait for a, for a better pizza? Right. They don't wait very long, let me tell you. Really? Um, okay. So the moral of the story is easy beats better. At the right. Moment. Easy beats better. Now, if you can be easy and better... That's when yeah. you win, right? Right. So um, if you think about digital, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know, you know, if, if I don't have my credit, maybe I'm, I'm going to claim that I'm lazy, but if I don't have my phone, uh, the credit card details in my phone, sometimes I won't buy things because mm-hmm. I've got to get up and get my credit card oh, out of my sure. wallet, right? Yeah. So your point on this is absolutely spot on, is that easy right now, if you can make your brand accessible, and it doesn't just mean digital, yeah. but it means, you know, uh, in terms of location, yeah. it just means price. If you can be easy, mm-hmm. uh, you can you can beat better brands, actually. Sure. And that's been a real eye-opener for us, actually. And so what, uh, in terms of the future, obviously, without breaching yeah. any confidentiality, yeah. what, what are some of the low-hanging fruit opportunities you see uh, for, not only for Pizza Hut, but just... Uh, your space in general to take advantage of new technologies and be even more successful? I think it's about making the ordering process e- easier. I mean, yeah. really, it sounds, it sounds very simple, but, mm. um, you know, digital is one that, um, that we think is a, is a huge, um, you know, a, a huge opportunity for us to continue to innovate in. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think doing both. So we've got to we've got to you know walk and chew gum at the same time. So we've got yeah. to be easier. But I can tell you that having the best product and being easily mm. accessible will, will help us us potentially win mm. in the long run. Um, but what about uh, specific things like, for example, driverless cars? And I mean, I know that there are certain brands that are starting to invest very heavily in in that technology yeah. for the future. Is that on your radar? Look, I think it's about where we get the biggest bang for our buck from right. the consumers right now. And uh, sure, there's some there's some innovation we'll look at in the long run. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, bread and butter right now. I mean, mm-hmm. particularly mobile device. I mean, mobile is clearly the way of the future. If you can access, you know, it's on it's on everyone um, mm-hmm. in your pocket. So, you know, we we're hitting the big stuff first, the stuff that matters most to consumers. There's some other things that that you know we're doing to innovate in the long run. But mm-hmm. you know, we'll get the biggest ones and the ones that matter most to the consumer right now mm-hmm. at the moment. So. And I, I know we were talking earlier and you said that Canada is uh, very similar to Australia in a lot of respects and we were talking before the interview started about you know the opportunities within Asia and and, uh, uh, countries where the culture and the political environment is completely different you know what what are some of the things that excite Pizza Hut about you know building brands in that space well I think the great thing about it is that we're um, you know there's a there's a lot of these are developing markets we can build a brand and mm-hmm. we can actually get ahead of the the industry I mean mm-hmm. mature markets like Australia the US and Canada have had pizza for a long time um, you know a lot of these places have still got a, a vibrant casual dining business as well and pizza's known for casual dining in fact we're the biggest casual dining brand in the world you know um, right so th- there's still a lot of a lot of growth in that and there's a lot of growth in China as well 
Um, you know, so China and Asia are big markets for us from pizza perspective. Um, but th they just have uh, a long runway in front of them in terms mm -hmm. of uh, growth for our business as well. So. Okay. And what about in terms of your own situation? You're still, mm -hmm. you know, quite a young guy and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, plenty of years uh, left to take your career in directions that you want to go. Mm -hmm. What are the kind of things that you look at for the future and get excited about? I think having bigger impact. I mean, what's been great about this is... Um, it's the role that I always wanted, but didn't know how much I enjoyed it till I did it. You know, right. it's it. You know, for me, uh, building a team and, uh, and, uh, and 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 delivering results really is is, mm -hmm. is hugely rewarding. And being mm -hmm. able to uh, see other people grow and develop into those sort of roles is hugely rewarding. So for me, it's it's having bigger impact mm -hmm. and being able to influence the. Uh, you know, the, the agenda from a, a bigger perspective. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's uh, there's lots lots I've learned, but lots to learn moving forward as well, so. Yeah, I, uh, and I've interviewed quite a lot of people uh, for this podcast, and it's interesting how different people sort of approach their career. So, for example, I just interviewed Rod Cameron, the CEO of Autism Queensland, mm. and he almost deliberately changed employers every two years in mm. his career, mm. which he recognised was a risky strategy, mm. but enabled him to continue to grow mm. and be challenged. Mm. On the other hand, you know, you've worked with the same employer now for 20 years mm. and for a person of your generation, that's mm. quite unusual. Mm. Um, what's been your intent or mm. has it been a particular strategy? You've said, I'm much better to stay here mm. and take this to its full potential than, than to move around? Or again, has it just been, you know, life's good, you're getting enough opportunity so there's no motivation to change? Look, I think the opportunities within, so Yum's a pretty massive organisation, mm -hmm. um, you know, so we have um, uh, a lot of cross-function opportunities. So whilst it wouldn't be leaving the organisation to go outside the organisation, within the organisation there's enough to learn. Yeah. Going from HR to marketing, let me tell you, there's a lot to learn when you go to marketing. Sure. When you go from marketing to refranchising and selling down a business, there's a lot to learn from a commercial perspective. When you go from that back into industrial relations, there's a lot to learn. So I think for me... Those changes enabled me to get, I think, a broad range of experiences that, you know, frankly, I, I could have got that externally, could have got it internally. Yeah. Um, but it also accelerated my career internally because I could demonstrate the ability mm -hmm. to nail results mm -hmm. in, an, in an organization. And I really believe you need a few, you need, you need to demonstrate your ability to get into a role, deliver some results, and then mm -hmm. roll those results. So for me, it's a three-year gig. If you can nail three years and demonstrate results over three years, then it shows you've really done it. One of the challenges um, when you uh, move around is often you don't have enough time to demonstrate your ability yeah, to really get yeah. a get a get a measure on the results and, mm -hmm. and drive that. So I think I've been able to do that, and it's, I think it's helped me demonstrate the capability. But it's also helped me learn a lot as well in each of these roles. So. And do you think that's part of the um, culture as well that they want to see people succeed within a three-year window and then intentionally ensure that the next opportunity is in front of them? you know, sort of in a just-in-time kind of scenario? Well, I think that's part of the strategy. So I think we've got a huge uh, focus on talent management. Right. And, uh, you know, the people capability uh, piece is we, we sort of, one of the mantras we say is people capability first and sales and profit follows. So we have a, every year we present all of our, every single, I talk to the, my, uh, the global president on every single person in my organisation. Right. And so we have a very clear plan of where people will end up and, uh I think it helps them. In fact, you know, in, in the team we have in um, in Canada, 70% of people want a career yeah. right? and are motivated by a career. A career within the business? Or, yeah, they want a career wow. in young. Okay. Um, 
So we're very, um, you know, we're hiring people that are ambitious yeah. and we need to provide opportunities for them to grow. So right. quite frankly, they don't move in three years, they're probably going to leave us. So we need sure. to provide those opportunities, right? Absolutely. And so um, this podcast is for people who are aspiring to achieve mm. great outcomes in terms of their career. Mm. I mean, certainly you've achieved some amazing things uh, in a relatively short period. Mm. What would you uh, distill as some uh, lessons to those who want to learn from you? Um, as to how they can maximise their own success. I think it's, uh, for me, you know, the words forged by fire, you know, really uh, right. resonate. Yeah. Um, you know, taking opportunity that enables, enable me to grow more. I mean, throughout my career, there's opportunities to move in a safer way into right. probably safer roles. Okay. But I learned the most when I got put in a position where it was frankly un- a little bit, un- well, quite uncomfortable. Right. Um, you know, moving into markets you know, that, that weren't successful, right. moving into roles where there was a significant challenge has actually helped me grow the most. Right. Um, so you deliberately looked for the, the path less followed. Absolutely. Right. Okay. And it sounds as though a lot of the time you got it right. Yeah. What's an example of when you got it wrong? <laughs> well, I think assuming that I, you know, after, you, I think you can get uh, hubris, especially in this role for when you've been in the business for a long time, you think you have all the answers. Right. So going into Canada, I think maybe, you know, I, I think I knew the problem, but I thought I had the answer. Okay. And, um, you know, I learned pretty quickly that I needed to understand more, you know. So one of the one of the downsides of being in the role for the, the business for that long was thinking you've got the answer. But I learned really quickly that uh, what I thought the answer right. was, was was not right. So I need to ask more questions and understand more about the, right. the market. Who's this bloody Aussie coming in? That's right. Us what to do? That's right. And they were right. always waiting for me to. This you know, young Aussie, <laughs> this young Australian coming in and uh, giving you, uh, trying to tell people what to do. Exactly. And exactly. so you, you got some pretty good pushback on that, did you? I did, but I think it also helped me to be vulnerable and uh, demonstrate that, and, and actually admit that I was wrong. Actually, I right. think it, it added a lot of, uh, you know, in terms of getting alignment between franchisees and the team yeah. actually being vulnerable for me and right. taking the feedback uh, openly and saying look I screwed up yeah was actually really helpful about getting the right stuff in place okay uh, so when you look at your role now what would you say the elements of it that you most enjoy I think uh, you know building a, a team that will um, outlive me I think building capability building people's careers and building a legacy for them, as well as for the Pizza Hut uh, or, or Yum, that gives us, you know, um, you know, continued results okay. moving forward. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I really believe that getting the right people in these roles actually delivers the results. Is, mm-hmm. you know, the strategy's been, you know, is important, but the right people has actually delivered the results for us. So. And what are the elements that you least enjoy? What do I least enjoy? It's a good question. Um, I think um, I'm struggling to find that something I don't enjoy. This role is such a uh, it's such an exciting job that I don't think there's anything in the in the current role that I that I dislike. Okay. Um, I think I dislike the weather in Canada. I can right. tell you, minus 27 two weekends ago is pretty right. disastrous. Good for business, but bad for uh, you know. Um, but uh, but no, look, it's how does home delivery pizza go at minus 27? It uh, goes down really well, actually. Really? <laughs> well, oh, yeah. people want pizza when they can't move outside, so right. the business is good. The, the delivery drivers do it tough. <laughs> um, but, uh, I bet. But, you know, it's... Uh, That's uh, the old uh, Canadian lumberjacks now will drive uh, pizza delivery vans. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, you, we've talked a lot about work yeah. and, and your career and so on. Yeah. What are the kind of things that you do outside of work to keep you uh, enthused and vital and you know, keep the petrol in the tank? Look, I'm an avid cyclist, so for me, um, you know, cycling's my uh, 
respite, I guess. Um, Although in Canada, you've got to sit an indoor trainer in the middle of winter to actually get on the bike. But uh, but no, I love cycling uh, from a social perspective and also from a from a physical physically active perspective. So I do a lot of that. Got uh, three young kids, so they uh, they consume quite a bit of the time that uh, that I have. Uh Um, But uh, but also, you know, we're we're pretty um, deeply involved in the World Food Program as well. So we actually are a pretty big contributor to the World Food Program. So So tell us a bit about that. Well, Yum's the biggest um, uh, private contributor to the World Food Program. So we've raised about six hundred fifty million dollars over the last um, since two thousand and seven. Right. To to fight hunger around the world, and um, so how do how do they actually uh, go about um, uh, fighting hunger? Well, we provide um, we actually provide school meals for kids. Okay. So in a lot of the uh, you know uh, countries around the world. Uh, where kids don't have enough to eat, they actually go to school to get fed. Yeah. So every dollar that goes into the uh, into the World Food Program um, will uh, will feed four give give four meals to a to mm-hmm. a child. So um, you know the last um, you know the last since two thousand and seven we've we've had about two and a half billion meals that we provided to okay. uh, to to these guys. And you know it's um, in fact this year I get to go to we're going to go to Haiti to see where some of the money that we raise um, you know is is going. So uh, right. it's a great cause and one that we're really proud of um, of supporting. And so how does that work? I mean, you've got people, you know, the Jamie Olivers of the world out there talking about school touch-offs needing to be, you know, really healthy and uh, uh, and trying to educate the parents that the children need better nutrition. What does this project do in relation to that? Well, this is all about just giving kids a meal. So it feeds them. Um, they, uh, they also have rice. So it's a, we talk about passing around the red cup because it's a red cup of rice that these kids will get for lunch. Right. Um, and it's it's a it's a, a really emotional thing to see these guys. A lot of them will only eat half the cup and take the rest home for their families. Right. So it provides just a a, a reason for their kids to go to school because yeah. they go to school to actually okay. get the food and 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 also learn. Fantastic. So we see this as a way out of uh, of, of of both hunger, but also a way out of poverty for some of the families that uh, that are supported. Sure. So well, it uh, must be it'd be interesting to go to Haiti and uh, yeah. just see. I mean, that's been a devastated country. And yeah see what's happened in terms of trying to to rebuild um, uh, after the disasters that they've had over there over the last exactly. few years. Exactly, exactly. Right, right, fantastic. Well, look, I really appreciate your time, and uh, uh, I'm sure people listening in will be interested to learn more about that particular project and about Richard, and we'll put show notes in with links to all of those. Uh, in the meantime, uh, enjoy the rest of your time in Brisbane and have a great afternoon. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it, mate. and I'm looking forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arrowhead Podcast. In the meantime, have a fantastic afternoon.